Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast, brought to you by Ceres. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. The 2023 Wall Street Green Summit is just around the corner on March 13th and 14th. This 22nd annual anniversary event will convene in person after two years of COVID-induced digital formatting. 30-plus speakers across eight summit sessions over two days will join sponsors and summit attendees at this nexus of finance and technology forum. In today's Sustainable Finance podcast episode, I'm very pleased to be joined by founder and host Peter Fusaro for a sneak preview of what we can expect to learn from the leading practitioners in sustainability and how we can continue to build a sustainable finance system for the responsible investing and the changing role of business. But before I start, I want to say a few words about our sponsor. I'm thrilled to talk about the important work that Ceres is doing. Ceres is a nonprofit organization working with the most influential capital market leaders to solve the world's greatest sustainability challenges. Through their powerful networks and global collaborations of investors, companies, and nonprofits, Ceres drives action and inspires equitable market-based and policy solutions throughout the economy. To learn more, go to series.org slash podcast. That's C-E-R-E-S dot org slash podcast. At Ceres, sustainability is the bottom line. Hello, Peter, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Actually, welcome back to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Well, it's a pleasure being here once again. Peter, good to see you. And what, and perhaps more importantly, who will we discover at the nexus of finance and technology in March at the Wall Street Green Summit? Well, my focus has always been on leading practitioners who have solutions to climate change. So I was thinking about this earlier today. So I decided it's a sustainability bazaar or festival. Okay. You're going to have speakers talk about the regula impending regulatory issues of the SEC and ESG, but also carbon offsets, agricultural sequestration, um, much more on hydrogen this year, the use of waste for the closed loop systems, innovation and financial models. We have a couple of the incubators coming to speak, uh, one uh, Urban Future Lab, the other New Lab over in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. Uh, biodiversity and nature-based solutions, and last but not least, AI and sustainability. So if you want a new idea, from every 20 minutes, there'll be another speaker <laughs> with a new idea. And there's 40 experts sharing their knowledge. This is not a policy-oriented conference. It's really a business-oriented conference, business solutions to climate change. That's great. Well, Abe, that was a very specific focus of what we can expect to, to encounter at the, at the summit this year. And the 2023 event topics, as you were saying, range from decarbonization opportunities to all the way to harmonizing diverse ESG standards, Peter. And also, you've also touched base on the fact that the pace of change in sustainable finance and responsible investing continues to accelerate. So what kind of systemic change do you think we will see over the next three years? I think that the seminal event this year will be the SEC reporting on ESG. We've already passed in the U.S. transportation bill, and that's just seeing deployment of capital. And we also had the 
Inflation Reduction Act, really the climate bill. So uh, being a former policymaker, it takes time for those monies to actually start percolating in the system. So we've got actually government this time around actually doing a major push on sustainability. So my focus has always been for the last 35 years on the private sector. So I'm actually seeing a lot more appetite for investment uh, from uh, impact investors, ESG, but also I'm starting to see sovereign wealth funds, more family offices in the space. So what my my goal, my message is there is no shortage of capital. What there is a shortage of are really good ideas that are investable and you can scale. And we're just starting to see major institutional shift in larger projects. So one-off projects aren't going to change anything on mitigating climate change and climate risk. But when you start seeing multiple opportunities manifest themselves throughout the world, this is not a US-focused event, this is a global event. Um, I'm actually quite excited that the next few years we'll see an acceleration in markets. There's now a recognition that getting to carbon neutrality by 2030 is a very heavy lift. Uh, Most corporations uh, cannot innovate that fast. So you're going to see tremendous opportunity in the carbon markets, which we'll cover with a half a dozen speakers. Um, and people can get upset about greenwashing. But if you can't reduce your carbon footprint, uh, you, you better start buying those offsets. So there's a lot of uplift in carbon markets. ESG has been more controversial, which I think is really good because I think it's good to have a difference of opinion. Uh, but uh, I, I actually think this is going to manifest itself more on impact investing. Particularly with younger people, the uh, younger generation really is much more focused on tangible outcomes. They wanna see things that work, kick the tires. And I'm talking about them sort of next-gen investors. So we've actually uh, realized that one size does not fit all and that more people are starting to engage in sustainability programs. Now, what is lacking on the educational front, just to highlight this, there's no school for carbon markets and carbon finance. I'm mentoring a young PhD candidate at Johns Hopkins who's actually taking a course on carbon accounting. That's the first I've ever heard of at a university level. And it reminds me of 10 years ago when I was a professor at Columbia University teaching renewable energy project finance. At that time, only two schools in the country were offering those courses, Columbia and Yale. Now, every school has a course on renewables. I foresee this is an opportunity for academia to really engage the business community on carbon accounting, uh, sustainability, kind of the E in ESG. It's very important and there's really a scarcity of talent in this area. So, Peter, we've started talking about the future a little bit here. Um, and, last year, and last year, you correctly predicted a major increase in hydrogen energy capital investment during 2022. So what do you see in your sustainable finance and ESG trends crystal ball for this year? Well, my crystal ball is bigger. Uh, basically, I think The Economist last July got it right. It's the E on ESG. And the reduction of emissions is going to come from things like green hydrogen, but also from energy efficiency, particularly in buildings. Uh, we're uh, Transportation is starting to get an uplift, not just EVs, but hydrogen fuel cell vehicles. So there's a, a real push 
and euphemistically I'll call it decarbonization, but it's decarbonization in many manifestations, efficiency, renewables, carbon sequestration. We're going to have a speaker talk about carbon sequestration in agriculture. So there's a, you know, we're talking about verticals of energy, food, and water, sort of my trinity of the world's largest businesses that really need to transform themselves into sustainable enterprises. And I actually think the C-suite is starting to get the message. I think it'll come even faster as the SEC uh, promulgates its final rules and therefore makes this material on the balance sheet. So I'm actually uh, not just looking at one thing. Thematically, I'll call it decarbonization, and it's a big deal. We're talking about, in the energy patch, the energy transition. That's 73% of greenhouse gases being energy. About a week and a half ago, I had a discussion with a group that was using nanotechnology for concrete. People don't think about concrete, but concrete is 8% of greenhouse gases. So what I'm getting at is there's attack points along the value chain to really push new technologies that are viable and can scale and commercialize. Finally, I'll just mention greening of the supply chain is not just some slogan. Uh, the federal government will be moving faster on this, but also companies. I'll give you an example. I had a call with Taiwan several months ago. Apple Computer is now asking its suppliers in Taiwan to measure their carbon footprint. So what I'm getting at, this is a global phenomenon, and the U.S. is going to be pushing this faster than people realize. Now, you've mentioned the federal government a couple of times already, Peter, and a new rule proposed by the Biden administration would require large federal contractors to publicly disclose their greenhouse gas emissions and other climate change risks, as well as set science-based emissions reduction targets. So how effective do you think this will be in reducing greenhouse gases across the U.S. federal procurement system? I know that there have been um, upwards of $10 billion of savings already since 2008 using these kinds of protocols within the federal government. Well, people don't realize the federal government is a large purchaser of energy. Pentagon specifically. So you've got large end users. I know the Postal Service is talking about converting over 60,000 vehicles to electric vehicles. So this is what I'm talking about. These are seminal changes that the Biden administration, in my opinion, is not getting much credit for. They're looking long term. These things take time. When I worked on the Prius, many decades ago, 1997, 98, we still hadn't perfected the automobile yet. It took time. And what the Biden folks are laying out is a basically a runway, a mapping exercise. This is how, this is where we need to go, but we're going to let industry figure out how to innovate. So I'll give you an analog. When I was 25 years old, I worked with EPA taking the lead out of gasoline. The federal government did not tell industry how to do that. It said a regulatory goal, you will take lead out of gasoline, lead, a known carcinogen, lead, an octane booster. And here's the funny outcome. The industry, the refiners in this country did it faster than was required and innovated. And it became something called fuel reformulation. So the point is, if you set these kind of goals, industry will actually overachieve those goals. 
Now, Peter, we've been having a couple of conversations recently with large corporations and the sustainability people within those companies about this idea of gradual transition of, of around energy, around agriculture, et cetera, the things that we know are not going to happen overnight. Uh, what new topics and sessions at this year's summit should attendees be paying special attention to related to this kind of development over time? As you said, it's gradual, it takes time, it's a, it's a long-term process. Well, renewables are still innovating, becoming more deployed. It's still not the majority of power generation in the US or anywhere else in the world, except maybe Germany. So that's one area that still requires a lot of scaling. So like offshore wind in the Northeast is going to push a lot more innovation there. But I also see a lot of innovation in the waste reduction area, things like uh, agricultural waste or wood chips or wood waste or uh, things that can create things like green ammonia. So we, we're going to actually have products that were byproducts that will now have some value in going into new markets. So I, I think the good news is, I think corporations who are really gonna be most of the buyers of this technology and also most of the enablers of this technology have opened their minds up. They have technology scouts now. They are not creating all these technology of the future. The business model is very much like big pharma. Little companies innovate, bought by big pharmaceutical companies. Same thing is happening in the clean tech patch. Most of the major corporations have technology scouts that are on the lookout for new ideas and new commercial strategies that they can push faster and farther because of their balance sheet. So startups can go through A, B, C, D round, can start getting investable uh, for pension funds, for sovereign wealth funds, for big private equity funds, ticket size is 25 to 50 million minimum. So you need scale. And I think this is where uh, I think the inflection point is coming, that we need to start scaling, commercializing these technologies in a much more substantial way. So it's not, like I said before, not one size fits all. Some people are very interested in hydrogen. So we've got three hydrogen speakers. Some people are interested in waste reductions. We have two speakers there. Uh, I think AI is pretty seminal. So we have two speakers talking about AI and sustainability. What I'm getting at is there's a need to look at technologies that could be deployed in a sustainable way. So that's really what the focus is. Here's the solution. Here's the problem, climate change. The solution is going to be technological. Capital, is, as I said, is not restrained here, even if there's a recession, this is kind of safe harbor in financial markets right now. Investors want to be in the impact world, in the ESG investing world, in the sustainable finance world. Yes, Peter, you know, I've been in dialogue recently with a couple of companies that are in the talent procurement business. In other words, executive search firms. And what they're, what they're talking about is uh, reviewing all of the resumes of all of the people coming out of these advanced programs at uh, from universities all over the world so that they can essentially deploy the human talent into the companies that are now working on all of these, uh, these technology um, strategies that we need for the future. Is that something that you're uh, in tune with at all? Or is that... Uh, yes. 
Yes. Well, about 25 plus years ago, I made a decision Uh that we weren't going to make this business economic transformation to sustainability without young people. So I've actually been quite engaged for 25 years, mentoring young men and women, mostly women for some odd reason, on sustainability. And it's very varied. Some of it's finance, some of it's technology, some of it's new business models. I was on the board of two universities, University of Michigan and Bard College in sustainability. Uh, I kind and I, and I taught at an Ivy League college. We need more people in this sector. And we need, so the human capital right now is in demand. I, uh, I noticed on LinkedIn, all these jobs for sustainable this, sustainable that. So we actually have a shortage of, cap, of human talent, human beings. In, now that'll go away over time, but it is a real growth area. And frankly, uh, and this is where the government is probably remiss, we should probably have more retraining on STEM, on solar. You don't need a college degree to, to install a solar panel. So there, are, you know, we call it in New York the building trades, electricians, carpenters. Uh, we we need those too. And I think uh, you know, a blue collar to green collar would make a lot of sense. So I'm saying there's multi dimensions to this. Uh, I've been in touch with many universities over the years. I remember that uh, uh, the community college city of Austin was offering a course to veterans to be linemen in utilities. Another job, you don't need a college degree. We have a lot of veterans that are highly proficient in the, in the armed services, but need to transition to what I call swords to plowshares. So we have, uh, you know, uh, and uh, frankly, there's a lot of jobs that are available. And I'm talking about an area of sustainable jobs, which is even going to be bigger than people realize. In 10 years, we won't even call them sustainable jobs. They'll just be how people do their business. But right now, uh, there is a dearth of talent here. We need more people, better training, uh, a little more vision in, in programs. A lot of times headhunters just move one group to another group. That doesn't create more value, uh, creates money in their pocket, but we need to create, you know, I'm not saying you have to have sustainability university. However, however, Stanford has a new sustainability college and so does Oxford. So the, the big dogs are starting to bark and see that they, they really need to meet the needs of their students. Peter, thanks so much for taking your time today. We're looking forward to the summit on March 13th and 14th in New York City at the Cornell Club. And join us, all of our followers, for that program online if you can't make it in person. Uh, And that's uh, been going on for 22 years now, the Wall Street Green Summit. Peter, thank you very much for your time today. And to our sponsor, the Series Accelerator for Sustainable Capital Markets. The Series Accelerator is a center of excellence within Series that aims to transform the practices and policies that govern capital markets to reduce the worst financial impacts of the climate crisis. For more information, go to series.org accelerator. That's C-E-R-E-S dot org slash accelerator. And to our listeners, join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, and this is the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Peter, I forgot to ask you, where online can our listeners find a link to register for the summit? Very simple, www.thewallstreetgreensummit.com. Terrific. Thanks again for your time today, Peter. And thank you, Paul, for the interview. Appreciate it. Okay. 